0: Welcome to episode five of the Bookswell Intersections podcast. I'm your host, Cody Sisko, and I'm here with Rochelle Youssef. So we're sitting at um, a, a nice restaurant, and we're enjoying a cocktail at the end of a difficult day. And there's some nice jazz music playing, so I have a feeling this is going to be a good conversation.
1: <laughs> good, good. I'm excited.
0: Um, I've been to like a few events recently, I think yeah. most recently the Drunken Masters event, which was fun, um, but it was poetry. And it's nearing the end of April, and I'm kind of burnt out on poetry. So maybe we can talk about some fiction.
1: Let's do it. Um, I am particularly excited about a young adult festival that's coming up called Y'all West that I um, actually work with. And they, um, it's happening on May 3rd at Santa Monica High School. So there'll be a lot of great fiction, young adult fiction for to take your mind off of poetry.
0: That sounds fantastic. I need to add some of that to my reading list. I really, really enjoyed um, *The Hate You Give* last year, and I haven't picked up Angie Thomas's next book. Maybe we've talked about this before at, on another podcast, but. Um, yeah, I was it kind of it kind of opened my eyes to like, oh, I can I can enjoy a thoughtful and fun um genre.
1: Yeah, exactly, because she I maybe we have talked about this, so I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but she does a great job of being about addressing like a serious topic in a really funny way like her characters are funny her characters are smart so it's not just this really sad depressing novel about a young black kid who dies but it's actually like it's 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 very complex and it's got a lot of layers yeah um which i think young adult generally does really really well because they are gearing that towards their audience who are sometimes younger people who are having to deal with these larger issues but having to also like you know, still be a teenager and live their lives and yeah. go to high school and, and, and deal. So,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. And young people inherited a crap world that they didn't create. So, you know, it's, <laughs> that's why there's this spirit of, oh, we're going to change this and optimism, which I think is great and needed. Um, what, um, what else should I be reading right now? Any good recommendations for me?
1: Well, I haven't read this yet, but I'm excited about Karen McManus's novel. She has two of them, but the first one is called One of Us is Lying, and it's about, it's almost kind of like this breakfast club thing where these kids all go to a detention center, and one of them dies, and so all four of those kids are now suspects in his death. Oh, okay. So a little bit of a twist on, like, the breakfast club. You know, they all go to detention, like, what happens next, uh, which should be like a really fun read and maybe not lighthearted but still fun and uh, easy to get through.
0: I'm ready for it. Um, tell me more about Y'all West. Like so is it like what's yeah, what's it all about? Why did it come into being, do you know?
1: Well, Y'all West is a literary festival that happens at Santa Monica High School every year. This is its fifth year, Um, and it's actually an interesting festival because it's author-led. So a lot of young adult authors um, work on this festival, and it's really about bringing young adults and books together. Um, it's about encouraging young people to read. It's about getting people, and particularly young people, excited about books. Uh, the role that I play, actually, is to help bring in schools from other areas, um, Title I schools, into Santa Monica so that they can experience the festival. Um, and a lot of students, a lot of teachers, like this is one of the first festivals i will go to, and yeah. they get super, super excited. They get a lot of free stuff. If you come, you can get a lot of free yeah. stuff, too. Um, great panels, a lot of fun. It's not like you're, I mean, you're going to have maybe some more serious panels, but you're also going to have really fun, exciting, like, energetic panels where, like, maybe you're helping um, some authors, like, write a story. In, oh, cool. Yeah, like, in the moment. So it's not, like, stodgy or, you know, things like, it's a lot of fun. So I highly recommend, um, and I'm really excited about the work that they do with bringing youth to, to literacy.
0: It sounds like um, access to the literary world is one of the things that that conference festival is creating and you know, to expand on that point I'm curious about your passions in this area like why are you drawn to um, literary citizenship as as an area for your activism
1: I think for me I've always um, I've always loved reading Um, I've always identified as a reader I've always um, I spent a lot of time reading when I was younger Uh, it was one of the few things that like my parents would consent to buying like they'd buy us tons of books they wouldn't buy us toys or anything like that they'd buy us books um Good for them. Uh, yeah, and they were very adamant that like learn to read, learn uh like become educated because as as um first gener as a first generation um daughter of immigrants, like they, you know, they could I think could see how like their language and maybe their inability to communicate it sometimes is affecting their um ability to like enjoy their life or you know to find a job or to live their livelihoods so they're very adamant about that and I think 100% I attribute reading to the, like why I am how I am now mm-hmm. you know my ability to think critically my ability to have empathy my ability to have sympathy. I think all that has to do with reading, and um, I just love the idea of like sharing that with other people and giving other people, particularly people who are in a disadvantaged situation or whose parents are also immigrants, the opportunity to better themselves, better their lives, you know, think more critically, be more empathetic. And a lot of that stuff is missing in today's society, today's culture.
0: How important were libraries to you growing up?
1: oh my god I like the only way I ever had books was like I mean obviously they bought us books but at a certain point like we didn't have as much money I was buying I was reading a lot so like I would go to the library and legitimately just like walk down the shelves and be like oh that looks interesting Mm -hmm. you know I wasn't like going on Goodreads I wasn't like googling back in however whatever day that was you don't
0: have to disclose yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I was you know like I would just literally walk down the aisles and just pick out books Um, I love the library I love going there I love supporting the libraries they're like absolutely Absolutely. Like, if you think about the thing that, like, sometimes freaks me out is you think about a world without libraries, mm, and, like,
0: I try not to think about that. That is terrifying.
1: Right. And, like, think about what that means for people who can't afford to buy books. Right. Like, literally, that's it. You yeah. know, you, you rely on programs like you West or, you know, those other really great programs that exist to get books out there. But other than that, like, that's it. That's all they have if libraries didn't exist. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's one of the places where, you know, as an author, you can show up and give back. You know, it, it, you know, authors grow up reading books; they can show up and give back and like connect with an audience, which is pretty awesome. Great.
2: Um,
0: I feel like that's one of the things that at Bookswell I want to do better is like figure out how to help the libraries get the word out about the cool events that are happening because every branch, you know, of the of LA uh, Public Library has amazing events. Um, and even some of the other ones around, two other cities. So, you know, we're still trying to figure that out. But, um, yeah, it's the same. I grew up pulling... Stacks of books yeah. off, and you know, like I wouldn't even check out all of them. Like I would sit there at the library for hours and hours and read, and like, and then the ones that I didn't finish, then I would take those home.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's like key to creating a culture that like they're like equity in culture, basically equality in mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. because it's one of those places where people can still do and get stuff for free. Like that's yeah. very rare now. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Everything else is sort of uh, <laughs> mitigated or by money and there's not enough of that to go around for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rochelle. This has been fantastic. And I look forward to talking to you again on a future podcast. Will you come back?
1: Um, Of course. Thank you, Cody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Judith Tidelman got her bookish start as a teenager, selling books at B. Dalton Pickwick Bookstore. Since then, she has moved through the artistic sphere, working in fine art galleries, nonprofits, and as an educator and consultant. Her recent work, Guesthouse for Ganesha, is her debut novel. I sat down with Judith on the lawn at Barnstall Art Park with views of Frank Lloyd Wright's Hollyhock House and of Griffith Park Hills and the Hollywood sign. We chatted about Hindu deities, finding hope in a Polish stuttle, and how sometimes a person must fall apart before they can be reborn. This is episode five of the Bookswell podcast. I'm Cody Sisko, and I'm here with Judith Tidelman. Judith, thanks so much for being here.
3: It's very much my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: So we met uh, kind of by chance when at the L.A. Festival of Books, you came by the Made in L.A. booth, and we started talking, and it seems like this is the perfect time for us to talk
3: destiny unfurled
0: <laughs> there are no accidents
3: absolutely
0: um so i enjoyed your book guest house for ganesha and i want to talk to you today about a few topics first of all esther grunspan
3: grunspan yeah, grunspan, yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, who i identified with um because of her indomitable will against all obstacles. And not, not that that's been like the theme of my life, but in some of my fiction, um, the characters who face the most obstacles are the ones I love to write. They're the ones I care about the most. So um, let's talk about Esther. Okay. Her, her formative experience Uh, growing up in a shtetl in Poland, is Mm. that she's left at the altar.
3: Literally, uh, at her wedding in the town, uh, the center of town, she's waiting for her betrothed to and he doesn't show up. And she finds out through one of her brothers that he had just that morning run off with the wealthiest girl in the village, in the shtetl.
0: And Esther does not weep.
3: No, (laughs) Esther Esther becomes no. Esther essentially becomes stone. She suppresses everything, pretty much from that moment forward.
0: And it sets her off on a journey. Absolutely. Um, I I, so the next part of the book, uh, she's in Cologne, and uh, it's it's doubly tragic that she's. So concerned with her survival at this point that she doesn't enjoy the city. She doesn't um, take it in. she is she's a seamstress. she's a tailor. Masterful, a masterful tailor. and she you know she's concerned about finding a job, getting money, yeah. surviving.
3: But but I just have to interject to say after what happened to her, there was no more joy left in her. It was gone and there was no need for that. And also there was no more trust. Yeah. She he was the love of her life. They had planned this future and it all ended. And she wanted nothing to do with that anymore. So she left the shtetl. Mm -hmm. She went. To the nearest large city she could afford, and started new.
0: Mm-hmm. And but that is just the beginning of her problems, <laughs> which because this Challenged. novel takes place uh, in the lead-up and during World War II, starts in
3: 1923 and it continues through 1945. You
0: know, her time in Cologne—you get maybe halfway through the book and realize her time in Cologne uh, was actually not the hardest challenge she faced. And I think, uh, <laughs> of course. All of this is overshadowed by her her the betrayal she suffered, um, but there's a moment when she's in Cologne where there's there is a spark of joy, and it starts with a samosa. Yes. It starts with uh, she comes across a vendor um, yeah. at a stall food stall and she sees
3: in the she, Rhine Park. She but,
0: smells and she sees. Uh,
3: and what's important is that every day at the end of her workday, she would go walking around, uh, around the Rhine, to the Rhine Park, and contemplate suicide, basically. And she would always do the same steps every night in the same format, and it was always just dark and grim. And then one day, this vision kind of appeared and it was like a beacon.
0: Yeah, and it's a moment where a connection is sparked between her and Ganesha. Yes. And Ganesha is a Hindu deity who, places and removes obstacles in our path.
3: Yes, it's good that you know that, because most people don't know, most people only know him as the destroyer of obstacles.
0: Okay.
3: Few know that he actually also is the person who puts obstacles in your path, so you get on the right track.
0: Mm, I picked that up from from your book, so
3: which I is learned... good. That, that was good. But... He is
0: not just the elephant headed god with right. forearms and and various attributes, but that that is that's one of his. Uh...
3: And he is the most beloved deity in the Hindu pantheon. He's also. Uh, maybe you know this. He's the first god that you invoke before you invoke any other god. Mm. So he is Om. If you take a yoga class, mm-hmm. or he comes through an
0: Om. One of the I did I did a little research. One of the things I found mm. was that um, traders from you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago who were passing through India and beyond, um, he he came to be. Uh, one of the important deities for them. Uh, oh. Sort of a pan-cultural network of traders who <clears throat> invoked him because uh, there's there's an association with, uh, with affluence uh, right. or with success and overcoming obstacles. Right.
3: And it's interesting because he is also, I think, among if not the most known Hindu god throughout the world. You know, you see bath towels with him on are in the Western world and they people just like the image. He's he's a very um, warm and warm hearted and loving image,
0: which seems to be a contrast with Esther. Is closed down and shut off. I mean, she's she's her story is one of living past trauma and trying to survive past trauma. She needs him. Yeah, and that's that's why I guess I mean he he ends up talking to her, right? He, he's he's part of her life. He's everywhere. He ends up like talking to her.
3: But she doesn't always listen. <laughs> she d- she actually doesn't know it until much later in the book.
0: There's also so there was a moment I think where I was like huh and had to step back and also do some research of where um, the swastika, Mm -hmm. but you know, um, ends up being an image that is appropriated by the Nazis um, and. Uh, The contrast there is is one that is, again, tragic.
3: What's important, though, and I hope you caught this from the book, is that there's the left-handed swastika and the right-handed swastika. The left-handed swastika, which is what the Nazi party ultimately appropriated, is the swastika that calls Kali.
0: Who is a uh, goddess of destruction and ending.
3: And dissolution, but also rebirth. Without Kali, there is you, things must fall apart before they can be reborn. And the right-handed swastika is calling Ganesh, is the symbol for Ganesha. And most people don't notice the distinction of that.
0: And this is novel about rebirth about Esther's rebirth
3: it's a novel about what it means to be human it's a novel about the human experience and the human journey on a much more universal way than just this one woman's story Mm -hmm. I mean her experience of being dumped at the altar is one the vast majority of us have gone through at some time Mm -hmm. or another. Uh, It may not be as extreme as Mm -hmm. on the precipice of getting married and your partner doesn't show up, but it's really about what it means to be human and the pure essence of it. it, it's about love. Because love is the thing that ultimately carries us through. It's the thread that keeps going throughout this lifetime and beyond.
0: I love the thread metaphor. Yes. Which connects back to the... (laughs) The
3: the master tailoring. The master tailoring.
0: This felt like a a tailored book, stitch by stitch, woven toward uh, an end. Thank you. Yes. Or a
3: beginning. Or... (laughs) Which are...
0: Yeah. (laughs) uh, Transition. Right. Um, Speaking of transitions, so I want to talk... part of what is amazing about the journey with this book is the time. Uh, You talk about how it's taken you 18 years uh, and maybe starting out with reluctance (laughs) where the story idea germinated within you and eventually you were dragged to it via a friend and her writing group. And then, um, and now, I mean, I just want to say like, now this is real.
3: Yes, it is, that must and I'm feel pretty amazing. It does, and I have to say, I'm incredibly proud of it. But I never intended to be a novelist. I mean, I've always been a writer. Uh, I've always been a good writer. I've been published on various and sundry. Uh, in various and sundry places, uh, but primarily for my work as a nonprofit management consultant, mm-hmm. and I, creative fiction, was never mm-hmm. in my thought. I probably always thought I'm, I'm always been a book person. Mm-hmm. I mean, since the beginning of time, since I learned the alphabet, I was a voracious reader. My, actually my first job out of college, uh, Ace Gallery. This is in 1981. Um, I, was hired to open and manage, at the time, only the second art and architecture bookstore in Los Angeles. Mm. So it was owned by Ace Gallery. At the, the Back in those days, there was Hennessy and Angles, yep, which you're likely from... There in Santa Monica, but that's the only place they were. And Ace Gallery at that time had a gallery on Melrose next to Gemini Gel and one in Venice and opening up various ones around the country and the world. And kind of to complete his Kunsthalle, Doug Christmas needed a bookstore. And I was kind of the perfect person in that I had just graduated UCLA, degree in art history, all through college. I had um, worked in bookstores or galleries. Uh, Yeah. it It was kind of handed to me, and it was a huge gift. And, oh, sorry.
0: So now that you're a novelist, do you see the L.A. literary scene any differently, or have you thought about how to show up in a different way being on sort of the other side of it? Well,
3: I have to say it's it's fascinating. I am always curious and I've never stopped going to literary events, all different types of readings and panel discussions, et cetera, all over the place. What actually makes me really happy is how much people love books that uh, there's a statistic that more books are sold in Los Angeles than any other city in the country which typically shocks people and I love that. I love the energy. I love the competition. I, I cuz when I didn't go public with a lot of people that I was even writing this book until I was Probably So it was 18 years. Just just brief. It was 11 years to write, rewrite, and rewrite some more. And again, this is all between my consulting and teaching and life and travel and all that. Then it was a year and seven months to find my agent, three-plus years to find the publisher, and then two years to publication. So very likely, I hadn't even told most people that I was even working on a novel until at least year nine or 10. And immediately people said, well, do you have a, do you have a editor? Do you have a publisher? Do you have a agent? And I said, I don't even know what I'm doing. And yeah. I just honored the story that had to unfold the way it unfolded. And the fact that it took so long actually made it such a better book. And I'm pretty meticulous with, I, uh, writing and finding the right word. Mm I probably uh, never had less than three or four or five thesaurus next to me. and, and, And also because this is couched in a particular time period in Europe and then India and narrated by a Hindu god. I was really having fun with looking for the perfect word. And it, they could be old English, They it could be ancient, whatever. So that was great. I don't know. I, have I diverted from your question about the literary community? So over the last I've lived in L.A. a long time now, and it's only gotten more and more dense. Yeah. And that's fabulous. And and I love that There is this competition to get your book out and get written up here or there or whatever because I don't think competition is a bad thing I just think it it creates really positive energy and my novel like all novels or all books are not right for everyone
0: right yeah Yeah.
3: so uh, the the people that it sparks to yeah
0: that's that's one of the philosophies behind what Bookswell does is that there is a readership for every book and we try to find We try to connect the audience for the book to the author and and have those conversations. What would you? What is your ideal? I mean, it might be a little early because your book is coming out
3: May 7th (laughs) very soon.
0: Um,
3: Twelve days, I think.
0: I mean, have you have you thought at all about what your ideal reader interaction would be? You know, you're, you're you're coming out with a book, and this is. I mean, it's a celebratory time. What what's your ideal reader interaction?
3: I want to go to book clubs. I've, I actually have quite a few already lined up locally and also some with friends nationally where I'll be Skyping in. I'm just fascinated by people's perspectives. Like what, what's what really jumped out at them what aspect of it ones who focus on the historic ones who focus on the spiritual nature of it someone who is really attracted to esther someone who can't stand esther i mean it was interesting early on with my literary agent she was very worried that you know you got to have a nice character
0: well i wouldn't say that esther is likable but she is someone at speaking for myself that i wanted to Follow and understand and see what became of her, right? So, yeah,
3: and so, but it was really interesting when she said that, and I said, "What about Anna Karenina? <laughs> she's not the most lovable of characters, and she's survived throughout mm. how many decades now? Hundred plus." So, no book is for everyone, yeah. and I just felt very strongly I had to honor what I knew the story to be, and interestingly. I wrote in this writer's group that I was literally dragged into kicking and screaming, I like to say, I wrote the ending before I even knew I had a novel.
0: The ending is the the true part.
3: I guess you can call it that. Yeah. So it's just uh, week after week. uh, Meditation was part of this process. Uh, She would take us through a deep meditation and then we would write for about 45 minutes, sometimes longer. And it was during there that I started writing. And And then it was kind of helpful to know where I had to get to, even though it took... <laughs> it was a long journey to there. Yeah. You had asked me about just how how this story came together. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's really two seemingly disparate components that came together for me which is why there's east and west into seemingly mm-hmm. disparate components that is the core of the story. So in the early 80s, when my mother's mother, my grandmother passed, my grandmother, her name was also Esther, was a very mean-spirited, nasty woman. She was not that warm bubby mm-hmm. that you hear about. And... I just always attributed to her experiences during the war. She had to leave her family, her kids, etc., and make her way and survive. And she did survive. And she was one of 13 children, and only three of them survived. Mm-hmm. And, but it was at the family lunch after her funeral. My Tanta Tanka, my great aunt, came from Berlin, which is where my primary family is. And finally, as happens at... Um, funerals and things you know everybody's really nice and polite and then at lunch (laughs) after everybody starts speaking truth and someone brought up my grandmother's mean nasty personality and my Tonka said well you know why don't you and we all went what and I said she was to be married and was to the love of her life she was 17 standing under the chuppah and he didn't show up and he ran off with the richest girl in the shtetl Mm. so that was the spark that gave me real understanding and compassion for my grandmother in a way i never could have imagined Mm -hmm. and at that time i thought god now that's a story that needs to be told yeah and then we fast forward through my life and Certain things happen. And then I got to a point like, okay, I have to write this. But I knew that I also had to honor me. I mean, I wanted to honor my grandmother, but I also had to honor me. And to really honor me, I had to couch it couch the story not just in an omniscient narrator mm-hmm. but in a hindu god because i have a lifelong I- interest and passion in eastern philosophies and mm-hmm. cultures and perspectives and hence those two Ganesh, yes and that is
0: and why why and not perhaps another shiva
3: uh I just really like Ganesha. He's got a glint in his eyes. Okay. He likes cookies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a sweet tooth.
0: Yeah, he's not a he's not a trickster, but he's a he's a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't say kooky, uh, but he's got yeah. There's a streak of humor running through what he.
3: Yeah, and um, I've just always been attracted to him. And I uh, many many years ago, I was given a beautiful Ganesha. By a Hindu man who actually wanted to marry me, and he—he, I—he um, he was a friend, and I wasn't interested, uh, but he was my friend, and he had to go back to India, and he there was an arranged marriage, and it all worked out beautifully. But at his wedding party here he pulled me aside and he handed me this beautifully wrapped package and he said it could have been you oh and he basically gave me my first ganesha and it's about this big marble intricately carved
0: will you be sending him a copy of your book
3: he knows about it yeah yeah he knows about it we're in touch Great. Yeah.
0: Great. Judith, thanks so much for being here today. It was fantastic to talk with you. Good luck with your book launch.
3: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I appreciate it, Cody.
2: Happy May, Intersections listeners. Shannon Egan, Bookswell contributor here. I hope you had a chance to support your favorite local indie bookstore this past weekend. Now let's get to some of the exciting events coming up in the beginning of May. On the first of the month, Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., Jamie Hernandez will be at Skylight Books discussing his new graphic novel, Is This How You See Me? A continuation of characters from the Love and Rockets world, this new work is as stellar as the rest of the series, which earned him an an induction into the Comic Book Hall of Fame and is rooted in the queer Chicano L.A. punk scene. Thursday, May 2nd, Viet Tan Nguyen will be at Diesel in Brentwood for a conversation around The Displaced— an anthology featuring 17 refugee writers from around the world. WEN will be in conversation with bookswell favorite Lisa C., whose latest release, The Island of Sea Women, was a runaway success. This event will take place in their courtyard at 6.30 p.m for history fans head to romans on friday may 3rd at 7 p.m where Carr robertson will be signing the trial of lizzie borden lizzie borden is having a moment in pop culture yet again and there's no one better prepared to tell this true story than robertson a lawyer and former supreme court law clerk this exceptionally researched book is the culmination of 20 years of work and includes recently unearthed evidence This next event is super exciting. Tuesday, May 7th at 7 p.m., Book Soup will be hosting Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black for a talk and book signing of his new memoir, Mama's Boy, a story from our Americas. Black wrote the screenplay for Milk and played a pivotal role in overturning Proposition 8, but his roots are in a conservative Mormon family in Texas. This deeply personal memoir deals with his tumultuous relationship with his mother and their journey towards understanding. Heads up, this is a ticketed event that I imagine might sell out, and it will be held at First Congregational Church of Los Angeles. Finally, David K. Randall will be at Romans Monday, May 13th at 7 p.m. to discuss Black Death at the Golden Gate, the race to save America from the bubonic plague. This is being recommended for fans of Eric Larson, and I have a feeling that this historical nonfiction will read like a novel. It begins with the death of a Chinese immigrant whose autopsy reveals a swollen lymph node that may be a sign of the bubonic plague. This leads to a quarantine of Chinatown and an eventual government government cover-up. It sounds like one of those fascinating stories from our nation's past that are stranger than fiction. As always, you can get more details on these events on our Bookswell website, bookswell.club, and by following us on social media, at Bookswell Club. Thanks!